you're investing in a property for sure, but you're investing in that team. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, I'm excited to have Jeanette Bernbach. Jeanette, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks. So happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, excited to have you. A little bit about Jeanette. She is a uh, was a self-employed chiropractor for 24 years, or is a self-employed chiropractor for 24 years. Uh, she's been in real estate for 10 years, starting with a house flip, then to single families, then to small multifamilies, and uh, now passive and active investing with Blue Ring investors for the past few years. And uh, she buys mostly multifamily, right? But uh, some self-storage as well. And so we'll dive in. Let's, Jeanette, why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background and uh, maybe maybe how you got into real estate and, and what you're doing today? Okay. I was always interested in healthcare. So that goes way back and to even when I was six years old for Christmas, I asked for the, there's a Gray's Anatomy coloring book. It's for adults. You, you use colored pencils. When I was six, I wanted that book. So this, that goes way back. Hmm. But what really, you know, launched me into going to school and, and getting the education was the time that I lived in Japan. So after undergrad, I lived in Japan for four years and my whole concept of health and maintaining health changed there because my neighbors on both sides were over 100 years old and they were gardening and they lived alone and they got their own groceries and they did everything by themselves. And once I actually, when I was first there, I offered to carry groceries up this hill for one of these neighbors and she was not having it. You know, she was, she was ready to carry mine. She didn't want anyone carrying hers. So it changed my ideas about natural health and healing because they would go to the doctor, but they would go for acupuncture, they would go for infrared treatments, you know, and this is how they were maintaining their health and really active into their hundreds. <laughs> so it was a, a phenomenal change from the picture that the health picture that we see here in the US. So that kind of yep. made that decision to come back to the States and go go back to school and go into natural health care versus mainstream medicine in my case. So um, that was good. And then when I got back, I opened a practice, everything was real busy. And this, you said, as you mentioned, it's 24 years. In those days, we had yellow page ads, right? That's where we started yeah. compared to where we are now, Man, right? Just, had, isn't that crazy? <laughs> just 24 years ago, you were using yellow page ads. Like it just seems so ancient. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, right? it wasn't that long ago. You used to have these big stacks of yellow page books you'd go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sales rep would show up, right? And yeah. say, you know, your neighbor up the road, your competitor yeah. bought a half page yeah. ad and you're just telling me you only want this quarter page ad, right? Yeah. It's not gonna fly. Um, and it was a big deal, right? And, and there weren't webinars, there, was, there weren't podcasts, you know, yeah. this type of thing to learn. and. So, you know, I started there, but one thing that was really profound at that time and does actually have to do with, with eventually going into real estate was about 
two or three years into practice on the East Coast, my practice was in Philadelphia at that time. On the East Coast, we the big insurer there was Blue Cross Blue Shield. And kind of overnight, they decided that they no longer felt like paying for all the services that they had been paying for or paying as much for them. And they, they changed it basically overnight where you were now reimbursed less or not at all for services that you had been being reimbursed for for years and had mm-hmm. no reason to think that that would stop. And so very quickly, I saw a lot of practices that weren't able to weather that storm go under and actually go out of business because they couldn't make that sudden transition to say a cash practice. So I had, for instance, I I had six massage therapists who worked in my office for me and massage was covered um, significantly less after these changes. So these people had to convert now to cash practices and it's hard to do that quickly. Yeah. And what allowed people to weather that storm was if they were managing their cash well, or they had other streams of income sure. that could get them through it. So I saw what could happen very suddenly. And we saw it again, just recently with COVID happening, right? That things yeah. can change very, very suddenly. Yeah. And even if your business is great and you love it, it can be significantly damaged without really any warning. How did you maintain through COVID? During COVID, I, as a chiropractor, our work is mostly hands-on, right? Yeah. And so we were considered essential and allowed to keep working. But you were considered essential? Yes. Okay. So we kept, we kept working and there were more precautions, more cleaning. We had to space people out differently. We would allow, you know, change the hours where certain higher risk people would come in at different times instead of mm. everybody just coming in whenever they were scheduled. So it was a different management of the flow of people, but we were able to stay open during COVID, but it was harder. Everybody's stress level was higher. And I mean, wherever your stress was before, even wherever it was before COVID, it was higher now. Yeah. It exasperated the the whole stress level for sure. For everybody, I I feel like. Yeah. And then years into it, right. It's cumulative. So we certainly felt the effects of that. And I would say, you know, those four years or three and a half years of COVID felt like 10. Mm. It it was a heavy, heavy weight and it still is. Yeah. Did you, did you change anything in that practice and that business for, for COVID that you've still maintained that you're like, wow, that was really good. I, I, you, what kind of benefit did you get? I guess, from COVID made you maybe think differently, change something, you know, create better systems, who knows what it is, but anything? As far as handling the practice itself? Yeah, as far as, you know, just anything in your business, just anything that in in the chiropractic business that you maybe changed or benefit from COVID. Yeah, there, there, well, in addition to the chiropractic work, the the main part of what I do is clinical nutrition. So I'm also a certified clinical nutritionist nationally and in Washington. And so that work can be done through telehealth. And so I moved uh, more into telehealth, which meant learning new software and managing people differently that way through Zoom calls like this and things that I hadn't needed to do and hadn't been doing. So it did get me up and running on digital 
type of um, dispensaries, say, for certain supplements that are necessary and things like that. So I had a, a straight up learning curve for a little while to move into telehealth, but it's good. And it allowed me even there were people even in the town where I lived who wanted to do a Zoom call rather than venture out of their house, depending on what their situation was. If they're highly immune compromised, then telehealth was a good option. Well, sometimes even if they're just too busy, right? If they, yeah. you know, that the Andy. time doesn't allow them to. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I did learn those skills and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a big part you know, for, I meet with a lot of investors and I'm sure, sure you do uh, as well, but you meet with a lot of investors and your face-to-face -face meetings are always definitely great. But, you know, just with that change with COVID, a lot of things being shut down, you couldn't meet with people or people didn't want to meet or whatever it was, you're able to use Zoom and, and you had to still create as much face-to-face -face interaction with people as possible. And that, that can be said, I think, with probably most industries, um, but I, there's always something good, in my opinion, that comes out of a recession, a pandemic, um, just a, a negative time. There's always good things that come out of it that we can learn from. It's did you grasp it, right? Did you did you grab onto that? And did you embrace it? And did you better your business because of it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there were there was a lot of growth that happened. So take me through why, when did you get into real estate and, and why? So after I, I had that first practice in Philadelphia and I was, after seeing what happened after the, the insurance companies stopped, decided they didn't want to pay for things anymore. I thought, I can't trust these guys. I need to make sure I'm you know happy and doing what I want to do. And so mm -hmm. my husband and I realized we really liked vacationing in South Carolina. We just moved there. We thought, why wait? They're, they're, you know, we yeah. know what's going to happen. So we moved state. and we've lived in Charleston and the architecture there, the houses, the real yeah. estate there. It, it's an incredible, beautiful place. Yeah, I love Charleston. You, do you know it? Oh yeah. We, we, we were there uh, two years ago during the pandemic and just, just love it. I, I've been there a couple of times, but absolutely. Okay. It, it is my favorite place. And yeah, eventually my, I have a daughter in high school when she's through high school, I intend to go back there. I will move back there, but I was living there and thinking about property, thinking about real estate. But at that time, this is still way before webinars and podcasts. There, it, it wasn't organized the way it is now. And I truly believed that I should just stay in my lane, right? I have this chiropractic education. I need to pay off my student loans anyway, you know, all, all of, I should just stay in my lane and not even think about this stuff. So, you know, I was kind of watching it from a distance, but there was no way to listen to it or have something like podcasts reminding you that it existed and no, you actually could do it. Other people mm -hmm. are doing it and you can too. The message just wasn't there yet. Right. So I, I still, I would have loved to have jumped in. I didn't. And then about three years later, I took a teaching job in Florida. So I moved again. Now I had, what I did have though, that made it easier to get into real estate eventually was I had read the Robert Allen book, Multiple Streams of Income. It came yep. out right around when Cashflow Quadrant did. Yep. And Cashflow Quadrant gets all the spotlight and the glory, but that book is a really thick, a dense book. book, right? You've read it and it, I don't know why it doesn't get the same credit. It came out right about the same time. So I even Robert Allen did calls at that time. There weren't webinars, but he did calls. So you could get on a 
kind of group conference call with him. So I did that. And I read that book and I did create other streams of income, just they were within my business. Mm -hmm. So, but I wasn't, you know, I'm still very much on that left side of the, of the quadrant, right? But I'm not trading um, time for money eventually. You know, you do the work up front and then that happens. So I published a textbook and I had other products that I created that other practitioners, they weren't um, within the practice, but other practitioners use them. So I did have other streams of income and that's what allowed me to move. It's why I could pick up and just go to Florida without worrying about the lag time between closing or selling the one practice and opening the next one. So I did have passive income coming in and I did realize the value of that, but I was still kind of staying in my lane yep. as, a, as a clinician. Yep. So were you in Florida when you bought your first property or, or I was out, I was out here in Seattle. So okay. Florida was two years. And in that time, I also had my daughter. So I was working full time and yep. I had a young child. Yep. And so that was, but I, you know, I still thought about it, still wanted to do it, but I still didn't. I got out here though, to Seattle and that's when I jumped in. And so you bought a house, is that correct? And you flipped it? Yeah, there is, there's a town uh, near here called North Bend. It's a really, um, cool community with, with great mountains and hiking. And there was this house there. It was actually a log cabin that someone had brought from Alaska. They brought, <laughs> I, I, it, they, I guess a, you did that. That's a short drive. Yeah, a hundred years ago, right? So someone had brought it from Alaska and parked it next to a river there. And it, it so it had 150 feet of riverfront and this huh. old cabin. And so we flipped it and we maintained the feel of it and the wood, there mm. were these wood, ceilings in it and we kept all of that and kept the feel of this log cabin but we modernized it and it had a basement we put in a bathroom down there and a living room and made it you know a, a really cool house so it was fun i was out there every week uh, from seattle to it was a 45 minute drive to get out to this place and i expected it to take three months and it took nine <laughs> of course that always happens right that's that's the beauty of flipping you've heard this story yeah and um took nine months i still made a profit though yeah um, when we sold it and i i knew though i never wanted to do that again i it was another job and as fun as it was there were you know it took much longer than expected it wasn't as easy as i thought it was going to be and dealing with um contractors over a period of nine months it started to take a toll and so I, as much as it was fun, I, I just decided, no, that's, that's not the way to go. And then right around that time, I discovered podcasts. Okay. So I started listening. And so what year was that first flip? That would have been 2014. 2014. Okay. So podcasts were around then. Um, so 2014, you did the first flip. You said, eh, not, it was fun, but not that fun. But you kept going and you were buying, but some single family homes, some small multifamily. Um, but those were, were those long-term rentals, short-term rentals? They're long. I still have um, some of them. Okay. So uh, the podcasts at that time, they were all, or, or many of them were saying buy single family homes. And what happened is after 2009, there was a lot of that type of property on the market. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. in different areas, turnkey providers, right? We're, we're buying up all that inventory and they yep. were rehabbing those houses and, and they were basically flipping them to investors. Mm -hmm. So I 
thought that made sense. I jumped in and I bought eight in a year and a half. And I had, because I always, I never doubted that real estate was the way to go. I think I could have thought more about all the ways you can be in the space a little clear, but I never doubted that it was the place to be. So I jumped in and I bought eight of these in three different markets. They were spread out. And I learned a lot from that, from dealing with property managers and weather these conditions. Were, these were eight turnkey properties? Yep. Well, the, I bought some in Florida. They were new construction. Okay. So not technically turnkey. They, but, but uh, turnkey. they were small families, right? Yeah. And I had those and then I had um, turnkeys in Alabama and Illinois. So would you, I, I find it interesting. I don't, I don't talk to many people who buy turnkey properties. I talk to more of the people that actually do the turnkey. Would you do, would you do that again? Or would you, would you go into it knowing what you know now, would you go in and buy those turnkeys again or would you have would you say eh, different approach maybe better what, what what's your thoughts on that so at the time it made sense because i was working full-time yep right there was no work to be done i had already done a flip i knew how much work went into that mm -hmm. into bringing a property up and so i thought all right well if, if someone else is going to do that work and then i just take over the property i don't have to put a lot of time into it often there would be a tenant in there already so the idea was you would take over this property and it would begin cash flowing so reality was not too far off from that but the downside of it was and why to answer your question i would not do it again there's, there's a couple there it's some people might do well with it i i personally wouldn't do it again but when you buy a turnkey property you buy it at market value right. so there is no equity in it right, right? so you, you're hoping for that cash flow to be happening and, but even then, if you're cash flowing maybe 200 a month or you know, if a really good one might cash flow 300 and then an HVAC goes out or a roof needs to be replaced, your cash flow is wiped out. Zero. So or if negative. you're, or negative, right? Yeah. For the year sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if you're in your twenties and you have time, you, know, you might have the time to build that equity, then it makes more sense. But I think as we get older, it makes less sense to buy that type of property. Well, you went to from there, I don't know exactly the timeline in between, but you were buying, you were passively investing then in apartment buildings, right? That was later. So was I, later. I okay. yeah, I started to get toward the end of, you can only get 10 Fannie Mae loans. Yeah, so you right. were buying these, you're putting them in your personal name, Yes. Getting the Fannie Mae loan. Yes. Uh, okay. I was coming toward the end because yep. you can only have 10. Yep. So I already was starting to be down a little bit on these single families and how long that road was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. To have significant cash flow that way. And so I started looking at small multifamily, which you can still buy with conventional loans, right? Up yep. to a fourplex. So I jumped in and I bought three fourplexes now. Are these turnkey as well? They were new construction. New construction. Okay. Yeah, in Florida, in Jacksonville yep. and Ocala. So it and the were they built for you, or did, were you buying them off the bar, off market? I did. bought them when the before the ground was even broken. I yeah. I and then it was you know two years to get them. I, actually, it ended up taking three because of COVID, um, some issues around supply and things. But I I 
saw the you know the blueprints and I knew everything sure. about them and I had, had already bought one turnkey property from that same seller so I knew them personally and I but the you know the light bulb went on with the multifamily Im- immediately that, that this was a significant improvement mm-hmm. over buying single families so when those are uh, two units are occupied all the bills are paid mm-hmm. they're never 100% vacant where a single family is is going to be 100% vacant yeah. at some point yeah. while you're doing the turn but these weren't and so everything just economically made more sense so light bulb goes on and that's when i started looking at passive investing because i i had used my 10 loans i understood multifamily now the yeah. concept made sense you're like oh right these make a lot more sense Let, let's see what else there is out there <laughs> how how else can i do this right yeah i'm always looking at what's next so that was passive investing and yeah. in syndication and what i liked about it there i, I did do a, a fund too but i liked that with um a single use llc you know you can see the property you can go yeah. to it you know exactly what you're getting the fund you know, can be good too, but you, you don't have as much control over that or, or right. seeing exactly what you're buying. So I liked that idea of knowing exactly what property I was investing in. So then I jumped in and I did five of those passive investments because I wanted to see how different people did it. Mm-hmm. And I did always have at the back of my mind that I wanted to do that too. I always was looking for what's next. And I just enjoy real estate. Yeah. So I like to, I wanted to see how different operators you know, how did they communicate with their investors and how did they, did they pay their returns quarterly or monthly or, you know, all the different ways that that can be handled. So were you, were your five investments with five different operators? Yes. And I did that on purpose. Yeah. That's really interesting. So with those five operators, now you haven't been with them. You have you gone full cycle on any of them? Yes. Two. Wow. Those are quick. Cause yeah, that, that, that was, was 2020. No, no, no. This is about 2016 now. Oh, 2016. Okay. Yeah. That's when right. I got started in passive investing. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So with these, uh, you know, different operators, what are, what are some things, I, I think this is super important and, and obviously you're, you're now active in this space as well. What are some things that kind of stand out to you as far as like, when you're looking at an operator, maybe maybe some some bad things, some red flags, some things people should look out for. We can talk about some things that you really look for. So let's start okay. with the the red flags or the things that you're like, yeah, I invested with this operator, but I didn't really like how they did X. I've been very fortunate where I I haven't had any bad experiences, but it's probably because I was so careful before mm-hmm. I invested. And it is important. We did a webinar with my partner, Sanjay and I at Blue Ring. We actually did a webinar of 40 questions to ask a syndicator before you invest with them. And we covered 40 different questions that you could ask and probably should, because that is so important. But I had done that. I had done the due diligence and I, I had reason to trust everyone that I worked with. I got on the phone with them. There was, I even you know, I looked at how their teams were structured. For instance, if I have a question, who's going to email me back, right? Will it be you? Will it be some person who has that, that job within the group of general partners? And I, I, I looked at those things. So I have not had a bad experience um, with it. And I think if you, if you real estate and, and specifically syndication is, is, is pretty safe. It, it's, 
got a track record of low risk and high return. And, and there's a reason for that. And the operators that I met then and that I know now since also becoming active in, in that space, they're really good people. I'm, I'm, in fact, you and I got to meet face-to-face um, -face at a, the conference in Charlotte last yep. month, right? Yep. And where else would you rather be, right, than at a conference with, with those kind of people, right? It, it's just such a, a great, great place to be. And there's so much support and networking that you really feel lucky to know those people. Yeah, definitely. What, all right. So I want to, I want to talk about a couple of these 40 questions that you ask, but what, um, you know, maybe pick some of the aspects out of your favorite operators or the, the maybe not necessarily your favorite operators, but the, the, the things that you really are impressed with that you're like, wow, I'm so glad they do this. What, what are some of those things? You definitely, I, I would ask them what, how, what went wrong or, or not yeah. as planned and how did they handle it? Because something is going to go always different, always. <laughs> right? There will be something when you open a wall, right? When you have a yep. certain tenant to deal with the, you know, something is going to happen. And we had uh, one property, you know, they, a certain laws changed about say how to handle asbestos in a wall, right? They, you don't know when those things are, are coming necessarily. States can change these things. Yep. So if, if the syndicator says, well, we'd never have problems, nothing ever went wrong, you know, um, I would be suspicious of that. Yeah, you haven't done anything, have you? <laughs> right, then, then, you, then you haven't done a deal yet, right? Yeah, yeah because, because there's one thing I will tell you, 100% of the time, your business plan will get broken. Something's going to go wrong. Yeah, 0% chance your underwriting is going to be 100% accurate. 0% chance your business plan is not going to get not going to get uh, changed along yeah. the way. So you actually want them to be excited about it, almost laughing. Oh, this thing went way off the rails yeah. and here's how we fixed it, right? And that, that they're kind of excited about it, right? That Or proud of themselves how they handled this thing sure. that, that went wrong. So uh, ironically, right, that's something you look for is for things to have gone wrong. I like and how you said that, though. You're They're almost excited about it. They're proud of it. They're telling you the, what went wrong, but they're also telling you what they did to jump in to fix it. They're excited about telling you that story they're not there's there's to me there's two things that i think could be red flags the one is well we you now things have went really well we just you know real estate's been great blah 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 we don't have any bad stories eh, okay i don't think you're you're telling me the truth number two is when they say well this happened this happened this happened and they're they're depressed about it they're complaining about it or they're blaming other people about it Right. And they're not giving you the answers of how they worked around it and how they got out of that, maybe not even ahead, but how they got out of that situation, that sticky situation and moved everything forward still. I think yeah. those are probably two things I uh, just kind of, as I'm talking to you, get out of that. So, yeah, you definitely want your um, syndicators to be optimists. 100%. Yeah. I don't want an Eeyore <laughs> as a syndicator. No, no, you want them to be optimists. Yeah. And, and not, and you're right. Not blame other people, right? Just fix yeah. it. Figure out how to fix it. How did and you it, take responsibility for, for the issue at hand? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so 40 questions that you want to ask a, a sponsor, right? And do you have like a blog article or anything that you guys did where, where we can give to our listeners or how the do our listeners access that? 
It, it's recorded and up on our website okay, and it's perfect. accessible there. All right. And where, where can they find, where, what website is it? Blue ring investors.com. So B L U E R I N G. Yes. Investors.com investors.com. Yeah. And so and they can get that 40 questions, but let's go through a couple of them. What, what are some of the most important questions that you feel like you have to ask every single sponsor every single time? Well, you definitely want to make sure that the underwriting was done well. And how do you do that? Because oh. man, that is a tricky one. It's so easy to manipulate a number. I know you've looked at plenty of deals. I can just change one little aspect and all of a sudden that deal looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know who, which of the, the partners on the team or partners are doing the underwriting. Mm -hmm. Ideally, they're all looking at it. You know, one may take the lead on that, but ideally they're all looking and you want to make sure that they stress tested their numbers, right? So you're, you're digging just a little bit deeper than, like you said, just glancing at a spreadsheet or something like that. You want to know that those numbers were stress tested in, some, yeah. in case there's extra vacancy or like during COVID where people can't pay rent. Eventually, a lot of states picked up and offered rental assistance, but that wasn't available early on. It, it took time to get those things in place. So handling that type of thing and, and knowing that the, the numbers were stress tested is important. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, it's so valuable understanding the underwriting. I think a lot of people, underwriting can be boring uh, for a lot of people. I love it because I'm a numbers nerd, but a lot right. of people think it's super boring. They don't want to spend any time on it, but I think understanding what levers can get pulled to make a deal look either really attractive or really bad. You know, if, if you can pull one lever just barely, and all of a sudden that deal looks really bad, that's probably a high risk deal, right? If you can pull multiple levers and the deal still works, now we go, okay, this is probably strong deal. This can likely withstand. So understanding though, what levers are doing what to the property is really important and how a syndicator can either trick you and maybe not maliciously trick you, but trick you or, you know, be, giving you, you and showing you the whole story. I think that's that's so important. One of the things I, I love that I see some syndicators doing, uh, I shouldn't say I love, I hate, quite frankly, um, is when they talk about the market cap rate and they're using an arbitrary market cap rate number. And that, that number is the cap rate they're buying at. And they're saying, hey, we're buying this thing at a four cap and we're, gonna, we're being super conservative. We're selling at a four and a half cap. Uh, five years down the road. What you have to say is, well, what is market cap right now? Just because you're buying it at a four cap means nothing. If you're buying at a four cap in a, in a neighborhood that a true property is selling for a five and a half cap, well, your exit at a four and a half cap is super aggressive. Right. Yeah. And, and so I see that I especially used to see that a lot, but I see that still happening where people are being super aggressive on their buy. They're buying for way over market value. And then they're telling their investors they're going to sell it for a specific cap rate. That means nothing. We, we did another webinar. Cap rate's a hard concept it for, is. for even those of us in the field sometimes. Yeah. It, it, and it, it changes. It's so variable, right? It, yes. it, it can it's be, emotional. And a lot of people don't yeah. think it is. It's emotional. It can be street specific, right? Yeah. Even street to street. So 
Um, but we, we also want the investors to understand if we're doing a value add to a property, we're bringing up the net operating income and cap rate you know, are, are related. So we have done a webinar too on, on that. And we did that. We do um, Zoom calls with our investors that are educational on those types of concepts. And I know they're working because many of them have invested with us more than once. And the second time they're asking really good questions. They're asking really smart questions. And I know they were paying attention and I know that our education was effective. Yeah. So they'll, we can show them, for instance, we can say, well, when we, when we exit, you know, the cap rates, you know, who are buying right here, they could range from here to here. And this is what that will mean, you know, and they understand it. And they understand that because of that variability, we're watching the market to know when to sell yep. and why we're doing that. And yep. they get really excited too and involved. So I know it's working because that second round of questions, you know, I've, I've, been amazed at how at the difference between when they really didn't even know what syndication was and now they've done one and we're talking about a second one and they know exactly what to ask one more question 40 questions you said to definitely understand and get to know their underwriting what's one more thing i i would recommend asking um there'll, there'll be the person especially with a, with a 506b structured deal where the there's the pre-existing relationship. You'll know the person that you're speaking to, but I'd want to get to know everyone on the team mm. as well. Everyone else who's involved, um, who the other partners are and their track records. And because you won't just be, you're really, you're investing in a property for sure, but you're investing in that team, Yeah, the, the whole team. Right. Because a lot of times the person you're talking to is the investor relations person. They might have, they might be part of the GP, uh, maybe, maybe or maybe not, but but what's their role? Well, their role may be just talking with investors and kind of dealing with some of the financing maybe or, or whatever, but are, are they the ones underwriting the deal? Are they the ones dealing with the asset management or the operations or anything like that? So yeah, great point. Uh, get to know the entire team. It's not just yeah. about one person. Yeah. You well, need to know everyone who's involved and what their roles will be and what kind of deals they've been involved in. Cause the same we work with different operators depending on mm -hmm. what's needed for what you know the property that, that we intend to close on. So yeah. we don't always we we do you know there's certain people we like to work with and, and that'll repeat, but we don't necessarily assemble the same team every time. Yeah, yeah. So it's good what, to know everyone on there. What's a mistake you've made um, just through your business journey, through your uh, investing journey? Uh, what's a mistake you've made and how have you learned from it? I think. Let's see. I'm sure I, I know I have. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm, I'm, I'm that optimist we were talking about. So I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't think about this too much. I, and I, like I said, I never had doubt, doubts about real estate. Um, I did make some mistakes with the single family homes that I bought early on. For instance, I didn't know in Illinois that if you're an out-of-state owner that your taxes, your property taxes will be doubled from what the pro forma says. I did not know that. And that made a big difference. Makes a huge <laughs> difference. Big difference. Yeah. Uh, Especially so, you know, when you're talking about a cash flow of like two or $300. <laughs> right. Wipe that out. Yeah. 
Um, and so I did, I, I did get stuck on a, a property that way. So I, I made, you know, mistakes early on there for sure. Um, I think I probably, I don't know if I've made as many mistakes as maybe I missed out on mm. some things from, from fear. It's, e that you, it's easy to have fear. I mean, when we were always pushed toward getting 401ks, you know, and if you talk to a financial advisor, they, they'll never, unless they're in real estate, they'll never say, oh, you ditch the 401k, you need to go get involved in syndication, right? You're not really explained um, your options that way. Right. And so to leave those kind of conventional methods is, can be a little bit, get a bit scary in the beginning. And I think it holds people back sometimes. Yeah. And it probably made me get started a little bit later than I should have. I mean, we, almost everyone you meet in real estate, tell me, and this has been true for you. They say, I wish I'd started sooner, right? Yeah. Probably. Don't you universally hear that? Yeah. Except me. I wish I did. I don't <laughs> wish I would have started sooner uh, oh, yeah. because that would have meant I started in like 2006. So it would have been like the okay. height of the market and all right. my properties would have went to zero. And so well, I'm glad, but I wish I would have went bigger sooner. Well, you could have said that I survived 2006. You could have had the yeah. t-shirt, right? Yeah, I could have, I could have said, yeah, definitely. But no, I, I, I do. I wish I would have went bigger sooner. Uh, yeah. That's certainly, there's certainly something. Um, yeah, so I think getting over, getting over fear and people, and I, and I do talk to investors a lot and there's fear of losing money, mm. right? There's fear that your family will think you're crazy for doing something like this, right? All, all of those types of things. And the answer is, almost always education. Mm -hmm. And I'll hear people say, oh, I need more time to think about it. But I haven't had seen time really be the difference. It, it's education that makes the difference, however much time that takes. Yeah. yeah. Right. You, in other words, you with, unless you add more information, probably the, the conclusion you come to won't change. Right. Right. You have to add new, new data. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you're so right, though, this traditional the 401k, the, the real estate is seen as such a risky thing by so many people like all oh, the passive, like if they think of investing in a syndication, that would be risky. Why would I give my money to somebody else? Wait a second, you're investing in Bitcoin, you're investing in the stock market, you're giving your money to somebody else all the time. But somehow you think that's less risky, even though the history has proven otherwise. Right. But you're fed the information from quote unquote professionals, which there's some amazing financial advisors. There's some not so amazing financial advisors, uh, but you know, you're fed that information and you think that, well, that must be correct because everybody's doing it. Um, what's one key to your success? Maybe one key habit, one, one key thing you do that you think feeds your success in business and in real estate? That is a, um, a really good question. That, I mean, the question itself almost answers itself, right? It's, it's daily success habits. You need to have good habits. And for me, um, I, I have, I've allowed myself about an hour in the morning where I can read and learn. I listen to podcasts on the way to work. So I'm extremely consistent with improving my education, but also improving the work I do now that I'm on the active investing side. Because like you said, if you really look at real estate and you look at the 
safety of it and the returns. If I miss out on explaining that to someone or they lose out on an opportunity because I didn't teach it well enough, I would feel bad about that. So I'm always trying to improve my ability to communicate and explain this to people. And with we we do not all, but predominantly 506B type deals. And so they need to know someone who's involved in that. And you don't, there are people who will never meet a syndicator in, in their life, maybe, right? So when I have that chance and the opportunity, I'm I'm always trying to improve my ability to communicate. So yeah. That is something that I am consistent with. I think those those daily habits really yeah. matter. Devoting X amount of time. So I time block, you know, where the phone's off, everything's off, and I'm gonna put one hour into this. And it's usually more, but it's gonna be at least an hour. Yeah, so important, so easy to get distracted. Uh, I, I've got probably very severe ADHD, and so I get distracted extremely easily. If you don't have those routines, those time blocks, whether you whether you're like me or not, you're just gonna struggle being productive. Yeah. Yeah. Time blocking is was a huge I've used every system for getting organized that you can, you know, getting things done. I've I've used them all and to the point where I was hyper managed, I think, and mm -hmm. had to actually let it go. But one of the most effective that I've seen is time blocking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jeanette, what's a um, what's a favorite book? I the I think the two you know the Robert Allen book Multiple Streams and Cash Flow Quadrant they, I have to put those on the list, but one that I'm really liking that I I've listened to it and I've read it over and over because it's the type of book that you must implement. You it, you can't just read it; you actually have to make it a part of what you do, and it is um, a a book you could use for those daily success habits. It's called the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. It's a long title, but the 15 commitments of conscious leadership it's by Jim Dethmer and his last name is spelled D E T H M E R. And he covers, he, um, kind of gives this image of if, if imagine a straight line that's that's um literally just a, a line horizontal to the ground he talks about characteristics of acting below the line and above the line for each of these commitments so below the line say for a syndicator would be not taking responsibility blaming other people right blame the tenants or the contractors or whatever yeah. that would be below the line right yeah. handling of responsibility above the line right, would be you take responsibility, you figure out mm -hmm. how to handle it, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes over these 15 different commitments and shows what above and below the line look like. And we've all been below the line oh, yeah. on these, right? And it, you, it, everyone has probably on all of them, right? We've all been below yeah. that line. And so he gives you tools to stay above that line and it's better up there. It's definitely better up there. Yeah, for sure. Love it. So I love, I love that book. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a book I have not heard before. So definitely going to get onto my reading list and I'm sure plenty of other listeners do. What, um, you know, look, we're building, uh, pillars of wealth and we're, we're creating businesses, we're creating growth, but it's all for nothing. If we're not doing something positive in the world, how do you like to give back to others? What do you do? 
I've been an educator for 25 years. And so, well, whatever job or work anyone does, you can bring those skills into real estate with you. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll transfer over. In my case, education was one of those. So I really enjoy that piece. Yeah. And through my clinic, I sponsor some charities there. One is called Underground Railroad. They, their uh, purpose is to stop human trafficking. Mm. So I, I, and I sponsor um, the World Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So I have a kind of okay. variety and I yeah. sponsor some kids in other countries. And, you know, yeah. the more, the more successful you are, the more you can do that type of work, right? right? Right. which is an amazing feeling so i'm i'm involved in a lot of a lot of ways that way and giving back and it it puts a big smile on your face when you think about it right yeah yeah love it uh absolutely so look this has been great i, I really so far i've gotten a lot of great information i got one last question though before we wrap up what are your three pillars of wealth creation all right I think one has to be your network. Yeah. The network is your net worth. You've heard yeah. that phrase. It's true. Your network, though, it's it's your support. It's how you learn. It's how you stay current. Yeah. Books are great. Like the the 15 Commitments book is fantastic, but nothing can replace live interaction. Yeah with people, including even things like podcasts, they're very current compared to a book, right? So I, I think your network definitely has to, is one pillar. And then diversification, which is what we started talking about, you know, kind of coming full circle. I think you need to be diversified in what you do, how you take care of yourself, how you give back, say your last question and how you earn money. Mm -hmm. It's good to have these different streams so that you can weather different storms so you can adapt, you can move if you want to. Yep. And I think that's really important, even if you love your job. I, you know, if you don't love your job, it's easy to say, I wanna do this other thing so I can change what I do. And if you love your job, you just think, oh, I'll just do this till I die. I don't need to worry about another stream of income, but you still do. I think burnout is often higher in people who love their job. Hmm. They give so much to it. Yep especially if you love your job, create a second stream of income, right? And then the third one are, would be those daily success habits. Love it. Just love it. You, you want to be able to look back a week or a month and know you've accomplished things and you've, you've grown as a person. Yeah, that's, that right there is, is huge. Uh, that, you know, uh, can't be, can't be overstated really. You have to be looking at, and you can't be looking at other people either. You got to be looking at yourself every day and going, okay, am I growing? Am I doing, am I improving? Um, you have to compare yourself to yourself. Uh, yeah. You start comparing yourself to other people. That's, that's definitely a cause for unhappiness. It, it is. There's a, I don't know who said it, but someone said comparison is the killer of joy or something yeah. like, it was something like that. Yeah. It's you so can easy be to do in today's people. social media world, right? Yeah. But yeah, you have to always be going, am I improving myself? Am I getting to the next level? What did I do this month, this week, this day to get just a little bit better every single day, every single day? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. 
Thank I appreciate you too. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a blast. I, I know our listeners have got a ton of it. I've got a, a ton of it. Go on to the website. Say that website one more time for us. BlueRingInvestors.com. Okay, so check that out. There's the 40 questions. Uh, Jeanette's got a ton of great information on that website. Jeanette, how, how can people reach out to you? Just go to the website or is you got you got another way for them to reach you? That's the best way there. And like you said, there's a lot of free information on there. My partner, Sanjay, he wrote a book on uh, syndication from the passive point of view, and that's free on the site. And there's a Calendly link on there and you can schedule. And I'm happy to talk to anyone. I, I really enjoy that aspect of my job. And that's very easy to do on the site. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you heard it. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes and uh, don't hesitate to reach out. You know, we got, we put, have great guests on this show and they give their time and they do, most of them do like hearing from you. So don't ever feel like you can't reach out to one of the guests, reach out. If something, you know, just spoke to you, reach out to them, have a conversation. Yeah, and congratulations on breaking the 500 podcast mark. It's crazy. It's a, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot Talk about accomplishments. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So awesome. Well, thanks so much. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, so I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.